But we are in Genesis 17 today. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we do um, thank you for your word, and we need your word to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read um, out of Genesis 17. I'm using, uh, Gunnar likes to use the NASB 95 version, and so that's what I do to honor him. Uh, So we're consistent. I don't care what you use, though. It's all good. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked to him with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be a father of multitudes of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Now your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. Father, we ask that you'd open our eyes and our ears to your word this morning. Lord, you know the curriculums of life that you have brought each of us through even this week, and how you have fashioned events so this passage of scripture would apply directly to each of us. And so we ask you to uncomplicate it, to personalize it, and to be glorified from it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, in Genesis 17, we continue uh, with the unveiling of God's covenant with Abraham. And this covenant began back in Genesis chapter 12, where God told Abraham to leave his country to a place that God would show him, and God would make him a great nation, and through him, all the families on the earth would be blessed, the Abrahamic covenant. And then in Genesis 15, God reiterated some of the factors in the covenant, saying Abram's descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. Gunnar spoke about that. Add to that that Abram's descendants would also be enslaved for 400 years in a land not their own, and when they left that land, his descendants would have the rights to all of the land all the way from the Nile River to the Euphrates. And if you like maps, look it up. In Genesis 17, we get even more of this covenant uh, and, and more specifics about it. Now, Genesis 17 is important because it continues in the historical um, unfolding revelation of the seed of the woman that we spoke about back in Genesis 3 and other times. The one who would um, the one who would take away the sins of the world, the seed of the woman, John 129. That one who appeared to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3. That one who loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Ephesians 5. Jesus, the seed of the woman who would take away your sin and my sin. That's what we learned about. That's why we're here. That's why it's important. And while that is important, it may not be that which thrills your soul today. Oh, good, we're going to talk about covenants. This is so exciting. And perhaps having placed your trust in Jesus already, you find that uh, today you have some other issues that need attending to. There's some other things going on in life. And you'll be happy to find that Genesis 17 also offers some real help for your present circumstances. It may surprise you that I will not be talking about intimacy with God today. But if you choose to look for intimacy in the passage, it it is there. I leave it to you. You won't be disappointed. Still, the main teaching 
of Genesis 17, the aim for you BSFers, is that God wants us to learn that the Almighty God is Almighty. That's what he wants to show us. The Almighty God is Almighty. That's his point. And the problem with this truth is that I'm pretty sure this truth is beyond the ability of most of us to comprehend. It's possibly beyond our reach to really grasp this. But it doesn't need to stay that way. So let's see if you need this today. Genesis 17, verse 1. Read with me. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. It's been 13 years since the birth of Ishmael and all that trouble that came from that sordid event. It would appear that Abram had no further relations with Hagar in that way. That solution to Abram's problem um, didn't pan out so well. Now, at 99 years old, God would once again appear to Abram. And he was, he was about to add a few details to the covenant uh, that he had established many years before that. But, but before that, there's this introduction. He says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. God Almighty is the Hebrew word El Shaddai. You know the songs and such, I'm not going to sing it. Um, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now the interesting thing here is this is the first usage of El Shaddai in the Bible. The first time God introduces himself as uh, God Almighty. Now past that, it's used 47 more times in the Old Testament and 11 times in one form or another in the New Testament. Um, especially most of those are in the book of Revelation if you like that sort of thing. It's the same word used for God's omnipotence, the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God. If you want some doctrine, God is omnipotent. He has all power and all authority. He's, he's the big deal. Does that mean God can do anything? No, it does not. God cannot do things which are inconsistent with himself. He cannot create a rock that's too big for him to lift. Don't go there. But he's all-powerful. He's God. It's a new revelation of God given to this man who was appointed to have a special relationship with God. And in a moment, we'll see that God uses this new name in conjunction uh, with giving Abram a new name as well in just a few verses. Gives him Abraham in verse 5. Now fast forward to the life of Jacob in chapter 35, and we're going to see that God uses this name of El Shaddai, Almighty God, uh, when he gives Jacob a new name of Israel. But that's for free, you'll look it up later. Now what stands out to me, and really what troubles me, the problem I have with this passage, not you but me, is not so much the Al Shaddai, but it's the walk before me and be blameless. <sighs> you ever tried it? It's a tall order. It's a high expectation. Now, the King James Version doesn't clear things up. It says, walk before me and be thou perfect. Oy vey. It's worse. <laughs> And to anyone who's tried to be perfect, anyone who's tried to be actually really good, you know it's very difficult. It's kind of beyond our reach. It's an impossible expectation. Now, don't worry, I tried to fix this for us. I tried to Hebrew it, go back to the languages, but it didn't work. So I tried to impose good doctrine on these verses to make them say, I declare you to be perfect. That's actually very good doctrine. Um, it's supported, it fits with Romans, it fits with Ephesians, it fits really well. Unfortunately, the grammar here does not allow for that reading. 
You can't do it. You can't impose that on it. Now, we can allow for the word uh, used for blameless or perfect to also read whole or complete, if that helps you. In checking with the commentaries, uh, most people in the know uh, conclude that God wanted all of Abraham. He, he wanted Abraham to be totally committed. He's saying, I want you to be all in. And that, that resonates with me. I'll take that. And with that, we conclude that God Almighty is Almighty, but we too must be all in to know it. So let me ask you, how total is your commitment today to God Almighty? Are you all in? Something to think about. Now, truth be told, many of us in Christian circles are still at the uh, taste and see that the Lord is good stage. We're kind of like those Costco shoppers, you know? They go from food cart to food cart, always tasting but never buying. And if you've never experienced the almighty power of the almighty God, you have to ask yourself, am I all in? Have I totally bought this? It's a good question for all of us to consider. Now notice that God introduces himself first before placing any expectation on Abram. God starts with God before he puts something on Abram. And we see the principle that we can only do what God expects of us if we first know who he is. And we know it in a full, personal, and real way. You can't do what God wants you to do if you don't know who he is. You've got to know God. And this would be a really great time to plug intimacy if I was so inclined, but I told you I wouldn't do that. So we'll move on. Now, we shouldn't miss the paradoxical twist with Abram's name. Abram means exalted father. And names are a big deal in the Mideast. They, they, they meant something to them. They liked that sort of thing. Everywhere Abram went, he would say, hi, I'm exalted father. And for 86 years, exalted father had no children. And imagine the sting for both him and Sarah, wherever they went. Hey, there's exalted father. There's exalted father, but there's no children. It's stuck in his face. He saw it all the time. But now that Abram is 99 years old, and according to Hebrews 11 and Romans 4, Abram's body is as good as dead, God steps in with a new name for himself and for Abram. Verse 5, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham means father of many. Now, don't miss this because it's actually the most important thing you're going to hear today. If you have to leave, listen to this and then check out. But this is what you have to know. This is what we have to get. The reason Abram was unable to bear the seed of promise was not because Sarah was barren but rather because Abram was not barren. God would not allow Abram to be the father of many until he could not be the father of many. Do you follow me? Through the process called time and aging, God had prepared Sarai and Abraham to meet and experience El Shaddai, God Almighty. And when it was impossible for Abram and Sarai to have a child, Almighty God could now demonstrate that he was indeed almighty. Now he could act. He had to wait for them to not be able to act. 
Jesus states the principle this way. Luke 18, Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Paul adds to that. 1 Corinthians 127, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 2 Corinthians 12 says the same thing. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Stand before me and be perfect, Abram. Be weak. God cannot be God of the impossible as long as all things are possible. We cannot know him as Almighty God until we need him as Almighty God. Do you follow me? So who needs Almighty God today? Are you all in? Listen, if you have trouble with this concept of all in, you are not alone. And maybe you feel like the guy who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, would you help my unbelief? He gets that. Our passage teaches that God Almighty has this covered. It is He who will prepare you to be all in. And if He, it is He who makes sure that you need Him. God may even arrange circumstances to make you weak, to make you vulnerable and broken so that He can be the source of your strength. That's hard for some of us to stomach, right? He is the God of the I wills, not you wills. Look at this, uh, verse, uh, verse 2. Now, beginning in verse 1, he's saying, I am, and from there he declares, I will, verse 2. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply. Now, hold on a second. He's already told Abraham about the covenant. Now he's talking about the I wills. It wasn't your job, Abram. It wasn't, you weren't supposed to fix this stuff. Uh, verse 5, for I will make you the father of many nations, not you. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you 12 times. I will, I will, I will. I will establish my covenant. Um, verse 8, I will, be, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Not you'll make me your God, I will be their... It's, it, it's bonafide on, on God, on his words. The God of I wills is certainly capable of and committed to making us ready to meet him in ways deeper still. We're not there yet. There's always more. Who here needs the God of the I wills today? Amen. Okay. Be careful when you do that because there's always a catch. We must understand that when God made all these promises to Abram, he didn't make the promises for Abram but for God's own purpose. It's, it wasn't like God was saying, hey, Abraham, I like you. Let me do something nice for you. Let me bless you. And rather, God chose Abraham to play a role, a part, in the purpose of God. Abraham was a player. He was chosen for a purpose. It wasn't like, hey, you're special. And this is where many of us go wrong. We look to God's covenants and, and God's promises and think that God's saying, well, if you be good, I will do good things to you. It kind of reads that way, doesn't it? Entirely wrong. I was watching a documentary on, on certain religious groups, 
and that went wrong. And in the interviews of the people who have uh, failed out of those groups or the group failed them, there was this constant theme, genuine theme. I wanted to go to heaven. I had to obey the leaders. I had to, I had to be good so I'd get what was promised. I had to. Tell the cult mentality. Now, but John, doesn't, doesn't God want us to play a part? Well, absolutely. Read on. After all the I wills of verses 1 through 8, God gives Abraham uh, several you shalls beginning in verse 9. Let's read some of those. You shall, verse 9. But wait, but understand that the you shalls are not of a condition of God's I wills. Rather, the you shalls are the responsibility of those who are all in. Those who know God at a deeper level. God has things for us to do. The you shalls given to Abraham are directly related to God's purpose in establishing a people from which the seed of the woman would come. Uh, the, the first of the you shalls involves the physical designator for those who would be all in. The sign of circumcision. A bunch of verses about that. Verse 9, uh, God said further to Abraham, uh, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised through all generations. The servant who is born in your house, those who come in from the outside, those who are whatever, how they get there, uh, the servant born, it says again and again, verse 13, um, thus shall my covenant be an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised, verse 14, in the flesh, that person shall be cut off from his people. Not from God, from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, a word on circumcision. That right, that requirement, was for God's covenant people, for the Hebrews. It was a Jewish thing. There is no covenant of circumcision for Christians. It's a parent's choice whether their boys will be circumcised or not, and that for a multitude of reasons, but it has no religious value today. That said, God has established an outward sign for those who are part of God's family. It's called baptism. Baptism. Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28 tells us that uh, it is the you shall to be baptized. To my knowledge, there's only one example of an unbaptized believer in the New Testament, and that's the thief on the cross. Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now here at Grace Point, we believe that baptism should be a conscious and individual choice to obey God. And that said, we don't baptize babies here. It's not what we do. But we make baptism available for all who would choose to follow Jesus' command to be baptized. Now on Sunday, July 31st, it's in your bulletin, we have an opportunity to be baptized right here at the church. And this is a wonderful event. Um, it's also a serious event for those who want to declare that they are all in. There's no excuse for not doing that if you're a believer. So see Pastor Gunner if you want to take advantage of this opportunity. Not something to impose on your kids. It's not a rite of passage or a, uh, hold up a sign, my kid is baptized. It's a personal choice. Now, God addresses the other side of the covenant. 
Sarai. Years earlier, Sarai had believed God's promises to Abraham. I know that to be true. But she considered that perhaps she was that which hindered God from acting. And since she couldn't have children, she offered up her servant, Hagar, as a stand-in to get the job done. That's a step of faith. She believed. Terrible thing. And I'm sure each of us could share a story about someone who tried to help God out and made a mess of things. God didn't need Sarai to help him accomplish his purpose. Rather, she was part of the plan. Look at verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. Now, Sarai means princess. So God changes her name to Sarah, which means princess. So why the name change? Sarai is associated with a botched plan to fulfill God's promise. God now renews her into the person who will be known for fulfilling God's plan. The Bible tells us this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And in a sense, it is completely proper to speak of your old deeds done in the flesh and say, well, that wasn't me, that was the other guy. In the Orient, once a person becomes a Christian, it used to be they would change their, their physical name. That's why you have Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Their parents didn't name them that. And I wonder how many here are plagued by the memories of that person, who they were before they met Jesus. And I think that dwelling on that person may account for some of our unhealthy choices that we've made after we met Jesus. We're still trapped in that old person. That old person does not need to define us anymore. It's truly not you. God says so. So let's see what God has for new princess Sarah, verse 16. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. There's those I wills again. Almighty God will give a child to incapable Sarah and incapable Abraham. Now he can be almighty to them. Now El Shaddai, God Almighty, is able to demonstrate that he is, in fact, almighty. And this brings great joy to Abraham and also a little despair. Look at 15. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will I, have, will I have a child born to a man 100 years old? And Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a children? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might have a part of you also. He loved Ishmael. You know why? It was his son. Hey, God, you're not giving Ishmael a new name. No. Verse 19, but God said, No. Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. You want a name? There it is. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. God has a plan and a way for each of us to fit into that plan. We each have an assigned role in our lives. 
that Ishmael was not to be in the line of the seed of the woman did not mean that he was not part of God's plan. He gets some I wills as well. Look at verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. And when he finished talking to Abram, God went up and went away. Now, what should you do when God tells you what to do? Obey? Do it? Oh, we're in doubt, right? You should do it. When should you begin to obey? Right away. Are you all in or not? I don't want to say that because I have to do it. Yeah. Verse 23. Then, that means like next, Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants who were born in his house and who were bought with money, every male that was there. He grabbed them all and rounded them up and he went and he circumcised them. Circumcised, verse 24, and Ishmael was 13 uh, years old, and he was circumcised, verse 25. Now, do you think that renaming of Abraham caused the old Abraham to go away? No. Uh, in chapter 20, we're going to see Abraham tell Sarah, hey, say you're my sister again. Read ahead for that. You'll enjoy it. The point of the story here is not Abraham but God's level of encounter with Abraham. That's the point of the story. In chapter 15, after Abraham had defeated those kings and rescued Lot, God appeared to Abraham as... Is that static? Is that me? God appeared to Abraham as El Magan. I am your shield. That's what Abraham needed. 